You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. be going into the second part uh, of what I started last week. I titled it A Story of Redemption, and how fitting for this time of the year it is to focus on redemption, a redemption story, because the ultimate redemption story, of course, is our salvation story, how God reached into our lives and transformed and changed us. And uh, just before we begin the word of the Lord here tonight, I'm wondering if we can pray one more time, ask God to have his hand upon the rest of this service. Let his will be done. God, we are so thankful for your mighty presence that's been in this place as we lifted up our voices in song and praise and lifted up our hands towards you here tonight. God, we pray right now that you will let your word rest in our hearts here tonight. Dig its roots down deep. God, I pray that you would speak to us mightily here tonight. We give you all praise and all glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Uh, my favorite love story, of course, is God's redemption story to us. But my second favorite love story is, <laughs> is, uh, is mine. And I got thinking about it, actually, as I was doing this lesson, because that's where we're going into. Uh, sorry for another spoiler alert, but that's where we're going into in this story that we left off with. Um, but I got thinking back about it, how my wife and I met, and it was by similar storyline to this, by coincidence. Um, my wife was down in Bangor for a Phillips Craig and Dean concert. Do you guys remember them? No. And uh, she was down there with uh, brother and sister Carol. And I was down there on weekend ministry for Northeast Christian College. And we, we were in the mall. And uh, she was shopping for shoes with a friend of hers. And the friend that I was with knew the friend that she was with. And I seen her in there shopping for shoes, but I immediately thought, she is way out of my league. And I was right, she is. And uh, long story short, she got a hold of me. We began talking after that. And uh, we talked for a little bit, and finally got, I got up the gumption to ask her to marry me uh, once we were dating for a while. And I, I will jump back a little bit. <laughs> How I asked her to be my girlfriend is kind of a comical story. Because the way that my wife tells it is that I just basically said, well, since it seems like it anyways, you might as well be my girlfriend. But it wasn't quite that unromantic. <clears throat> um, and then uh, I, I'm just daydreaming right now anyways, going back. Going back to all of this, and I, I remember when I was proposing to her to be my wife, I had the ring picked out, I had everything ready, and there was, there was a book, we were into chapters together when we were dating, and this is months before I asked her to marry me. There was a journal there, and of course, we're poor college kids, we didn't have any money for any extras, it was just survive, get through. And uh, she's seen this journal that she really wanted, and so I, I went back later, and I bought it. And I, I kept it for that date. I had a plan. So my plan was she loves treasure hunts. She loves, 
she, she loves uh, expeditions and adventures and stuff like that. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to make this into a, a scavenger hunt, a treasure hunt. <laughs> and so I, I got this journal. And in the first page of it, I wrote a poem. And at the very end of that, the last stanza of that poem, was a riddle that would take her to the first clue. And I didn't know if she was going to find me or not. This was <laughs> a little bit risky uh, because this was my plan. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, I, I put little clues all along the way. And she did eventually find me kneeling on a bridge in Basin Ann, where she's from, with the ring. And her first words out of her mouth were, you idiot. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but of course, she said it so endearingly. And then I asked her to marry me, and here we are today, 15 years later. Um, but uh, tonight, as we return to the story of Ruth, we have an unusual marriage proposal that takes place. But before we get into that, I just want to take a moment and provide a quick recap from last Wednesday. Naomi and Ruth had experienced a lot of hardship and heartbreak. They had lost their husbands while living in Moab and were surrounded by famine, completely surrounded by famine. But Naomi heard how God's people were thriving in the midst of all of this. God was blessing them abundantly. They had crops like never before while all around them was drought, was famine. And so she decides to return to her homeland, Bethlehem. Ruth makes a covenant with her mother-in-law, Naomi, that she will not leave her, but she will follow her wherever she goes, and that her God will be, that Naomi's God will be her God. The two women arrive in Bethlehem as broken and hopeless women, but as we read more of the story, we see that God is not finished working. Ruth went out to glean to pick whatever leftovers that she could come up with, whatever she could find, and the Bible uses the word happened. She happened to come into the field of Boaz, a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, a potential redeemer. But we know that God's plans are not by happenstance. He purposes his divine order for those who love him with intentionality. He had a plan. He wasn't through with Ruth and Naomi. Their story wasn't over. Boaz took notice of Ruth in his field. Who's that lovely lady? And showed her extraordinary favor and generosity during the harvest. Naomi was so thankful that her daughter-in-law had been able to, to bring home such a large amount of grain over the course of this harvest after they had just come from famine. It was a real treasure and would sustain the two of them for quite some time. And the way that Boaz treated Ruth throughout the harvest likely had both Naomi and Ruth wondering if Boaz also had a romantic interest in Ruth. I bet you say that to all the gleaners, right? Everybody that comes into your field, you're probably so kind to them. If Boaz treated all those who gleaned his fields the way that he treated Ruth, he'd be gleaned out of house and home, right? And as we come back into the story tonight, we see that the harvesting season is coming to a close. And Naomi knew that if Ruth was going to make a move, it needed to happen now. There was no time to drag feet. There was no time for that. Harvest season was coming to a close, and that was Boaz's bread and butter. That was his business. Naomi was not just some meddling mother-in-law. Not that they exist, okay? I just want to put that out there. Not that they exist, but not that she was. 
She, she was looking out for Ruth's very best interests by concocting the plan that she was about to propose. So we come into the story here tonight in Ruth chapter 3. Um, it says in verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be, whenever he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. In the Old Testament times, parents often arranged marriages for their children, but nowhere does the Old Testament show a role being given to a mother-in-law to do that. The arrangements of marriage were often done in a more formal and customary way than Naomi suggested. Boaz was a suitable prospect to marry Ruth, not just because he was wealthy and not just because he had great standing in his community, but because he was a close relative. And what Naomi was suggesting, what is, what, what is called Leverite marriage, is literally a marriage with a brother-in-law. In ancient times, if a man died without a child, it was common for the man's unmarried brother to marry the widow in order to provide a, an heir for the deceased. A widow could, would marry a brother-in-law, and the first son produced in that union was considered the legal descendant of her dead husband. Old Testament law tells us of this in Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 to 6, and it gives us a reason. It says, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. One thing is clear in this story, but one thing is also not clear. What is clear is that this was Naomi's way of trying to get Boaz to marry Ruth, push her along a little bit, you know, a little nudge in the right direction. But what is not clear is why she should go about it like this. Why didn't Naomi just go and have a conversation with Boaz and say, you know what, I think you should marry Ruth? Instead of suggesting this highly suggestive and risky midnight maneuver. The author doesn't come right out and tell us why Naomi chose this strategy to win Boaz for Ruth. The long and short of the plan was that Ruth was to do herself up as pretty as she could. Then go out to Boaz when he was alone and essentially make known that she is available for a marriage proposal. Okay, in other words... By doing this, she was basically asking Boaz to marry her. But the idea of meeting on the threshing floor was pretty risque. It would have raised a few eyebrows of the people as they heard this story unfold. It was also a gesture of trust. She was willing to make herself vulnerable to him, being open to acceptance or rejection. And the original readers of this, of this book would have seen the danger and the risk involved in this approach and how th- this tension adds suspense to the story. And so the story continues in verse 5, and it says, And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, she, became, she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. The harvest was in. The returns were good, and Boaz goes to sleep there on the threshing floor. It wasn't unusual to do this. 
to make sure that the harvest that you just brought in was guarded against thieves. But then as soon as everyone was gone, Boaz began to snore. Ruth quietly comes in, approaches him, takes the blanket off of his feet and lays down there at his feet. And at verse 8, it says, Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. When you be startled. And he said, Who are you? I can just imagine. Something startled Boaz out of his sleep. I don't know. Maybe it was uh, the movement of Ruth at his feet. It could have been. <laughs> and it might have been the cool air on his uncovered feet. But whatever it was, Boaz woke up, noticed a woman lying at his feet, and immediately asked, Who are you? Boaz didn't recognize that it was Ruth. It was probably dark, and you know how, you know sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night, you don't even know what room you're in. Sometimes you just, yeah, that ever happened to you? You travel somewheres, and you sleep in a different bed, and you wake up, and you're like, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> you just imagine how Boaz fell, but Ruth was ready to respond. And interestingly enough, the text doesn't say that Naomi rehearsed a speech with her. The Bible says that Ruth said, so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Take me under your wing. Just like was communicated back in chapter 2 when Boaz commended Ruth for putting herself under God's wing. In Hebrew, the word for skirt, wing, or corner of the garment are the same word. The, new, the NIV says, spread the corner of your garment over me. The Living Bible, it just jumps to the suggestion and says, make me your wife according to God's law. I don't think that she was that straightforward with it. But how's that for a paraphrase? And Ruth was smart enough to add a reason for Boaz to accept her proposal. The fact that he was a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was a male relative who had the privilege or responsibility to act for a relative who was in trouble, danger, or need of vindication. Does that sound familiar tonight? Has anyone here needed someone to act on your behalf because of trouble or danger that you were in? The book of Ruth is in our Bibles because of the overwhelming likeness to the story of our redemption through Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadow of the work that God would come do for us. He would purchase us with his own precious blood when we were slaves to sin that entrapped us in this dark world. The Bible records Boaz's response to Ruth's proposal. He says in verse 10, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you do not go after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town. Know that you are a virtuous woman. And Boaz, he begins this request by asking the Lord to bless Ruth. Rather than rejecting Ruth's request or ridiculing her for making such a bold proposal or rebuking her for disturbing his sleep, he instead calls on the Lord to do the best possible for Ruth. Bless her, Lord. Show her favor. And when he said that, she has shown more kindness now than before. He was saying that the kindness that she was showing was the type of kindness that the Lord gives. That type of kindness. The word kindness is an important Old Testament word. and is representative of God's actions toward the nation of Israel. It's used so many times when it refers to God. The word is his seed. And it stands for loyal and committed love. It stands for grace and favor. 
Boaz tells us, Ruth, that he would happily be her husband because of her virtuous character, her noble character. He wanted her to know she was a keeper and that she had nothing to fear. But there was one little minor detail that had to be ironed out that it tells us in verse 12. It says, now it is true that I am a close relative, but there's a closer relative than me. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. He wants to marry this amazing young woman, but there is another relative who is even closer than he is and should have the option to marry her first. And the fact that Boaz was aware of this reality says that he had been thinking about marrying Ruth. He already knew all of this. He knew that he was in line as a kinsman redeemer. But he knew that he was second in line. Verse 14 says that she lay down at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. When Ruth got home, she gave the report to Naomi. She wanted to hear all the details, don't leave anything out. And it was easily the best news that Naomi had heard in a long, long time. God's hand was in all of this, but now she could finally see it. Have you ever heard the saying, you can't get here from, you can't get there from here? You ever hear tell of that saying before? Apparently that saying began in Maine, her neighbors just below us, and it was used in response to a person asking for directions to a distant location, but it could not be accessed without extensive, complicated directions. And I think that that could be said about anywhere in Canada. (laughs) We can't expect that our lives are going to be smooth, straight line from where we are to where God wants us. But we need to trust God on life's journey because our journey isn't going to be like a straight interstate highway through Saskatchewan, just flat all the way through. Rather, it's going to be more like a highway through the Rocky Mountains. Our journey is going to have dead ends and up and downs. It's going to have hairpin turns and sudden stops. I've heard it like this. My kids can walk beside me and they can still stumble and fall and get hurt. Even though I love them and I am their father, it can still happen. But as their loving father, I pick them back up and comfort them. How much greater is that with our Heavenly Father? Just because we follow Him doesn't mean that we won't have bad days and trips and falls. But when we do, He is right there beside us and He comforts us with His amazing presence. He covers us with His wings. The journey that Naomi and Ruth found themselves on was a hard one. With mostly downs and what looked like dead ends. But one of the key lessons that we learn from the book of Ruth is to trust God 
on life's journey. The setbacks that we experience in our lives may very well be the way that God is leading us to a place of favor and joy. And so we go into the final chapter of this book. Chapter 4, it says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside. Friends, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And so they sat down, and then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants, of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. And if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know that for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am the next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. When the Bible says that Boaz went off to the gate of the town, We need to understand that the gate of an ancient town was a lot different than just a a gate that we would picture. They built into the rock wall that surrounded the city a place of business. The picture that you see on the screen is the ruins of the city gate of Beersheba, a, a, a blueprint of it. Another city in Israel that is talked about in Scripture, and it would have been similar to something like this. And so the first thing in the morning, Boaz, he goes to the city gate where they do business and he sat down there and the bible says that the family redeemer whom boaz needed to see came by how many times in the story of ruth have we seen things just happen coincidentally naomi and ruth just happened to arrive back in bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest ruth just happened to end up gleaning in the field of a nice man named de boaz who just happened to be a potential kinsman redeemer Boaz just happened to come to the field where Ruth was gleaning the first days she had come to glean. And now the very man who Boaz needed to see just happened to be at the city gate. I see God's fingerprints all over this. So Boaz invited the man to come over and sit down. This man is not referred to by name. We never know who he is by name. He is simply called the family redeemer or kinsman redeemer. And since he is related to the deceased and can redeem his wife and property... Boaz was able to gather this group together, this group of witnesses, this these group of elders. Everyone walking by the gate that day got to witness the things that God was about to do. There are two laws about the next of kin that stood behind the business that Boaz needed to conduct that day at the gate. The first law was about land. That's lined out in Leviticus chapter 25. The use of the land could be sold for a number of years, but the year of Jubilee and the kinsman redeemer were ways to bring the land back to the family that it had begun with. The second law was involving legacy. If a man died without an heir, his brother was to marry the widow, if possible. And Boaz decided to start the proceedings with a discussion about the land rather than the legacy. And so the death of Naomi's husband had left the land in limbo, and here we are just watching the scene unfold. And he presents it in front of this other family redeemer. They begin talking about it, and he says, to our dismay, I will redeem it. We're like, no, we we don't want this man to redeem. We want Boaz. By the redeeming the land, he was supposedly helping Naomi out and requiring some good land in the process. So just when we were about to cry out, oh, no, Stop the story. Don't let this other guy take the land. That's when Boaz brought up the question about legacy. And as soon as he does that, 
verses 5 and 6, he says, in the day that you buy the land, in the day that you buy this field, you also inherit he who Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through it as inheritance. And immediately, this man, he says, I, I can't redeem it then. Okay, deals off. You redeem it. He puts it out to him. And this fuddy-duddy, is that okay to say, fuddy-duddy, was only interested in the land. But luckily, there is a redeemer who doesn't care about the land, but he does care about Ruth. And so Boaz, he quickly declared his attentions. He completes all the necessary legalities. And we find out from verse 7 that he, he takes off his sandal and he, he gives it to the other redeemer. Now, when you came into church today, I don't believe, I could be wrong, but I don't believe any of our greeters or any of our ushers gave you their shoe. But if they did, what they were trying to do was shake your hand. That's, that's <laughs> what was going on there. Because our story has had many twists and turns and ups and downs, but it concludes with something along the lines of, of exchanging a shoe. But what this means in this business transaction is more or less a handshake. And um, the Bible says this in verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went in to her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel, and may you be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the, son, the child, laid him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him his name, saying, There was a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And at that point, God's favor and blessing came shining through for Naomi and Ruth. The Lord granted Ruth to be able to get pregnant, and she birthed a son. And they called his name Obed, and Obed's name means servant of God. Servant of God. If I could have the music come back at this time, I'm going to bring this all into a close, wrap it all up. I know that was a lot of information, but it brings us all to this point. Naomi, she gets to help raise this new bundle of joy and promise. The story began with Naomi's loss, but it ends with her gain. It begins with death. But it ends with birth. And Ruth was written to help us to learn to trust God even when the clouds are so thick that we can't see what God is up to and we wonder if God is even there. It was God who acted to turn each setback into a stepping stone to joy. And then at all of our bitterness, it is God who is plotting for our good. But this sweet story is more than just a story of an old grandmother hugging a new grandson in a Judean village. The grandson's name was Obed, who was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And all of a sudden, we realize that all along, something far greater was taking place beyond what anyone could imagine. God was not just piecing together the tapestry of this story for the temporal blessing of a few people, a few Jews in Bethlehem. 
Rather, he was preparing for the coming of the greatest king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If we could all stand at this time. We live in a world of hardship, heartbreak. If you haven't experienced it yet, I've got bad news for you. You will. But I also have good news. Because if you will, you don't have to do it alone. It's a world of hatred and bitterness, a world of violence and abuse, selfishness and exploitation, a world of starvation and pollution. And all these things lead to suffering and questioning. And God, He just wants us to bring that suffering and questioning to Him. Sometimes God takes the suffering away, and other times He simply helps us bear up under it. And our questions may never get answered on this side of heaven. But He is the answer. God, He obviously worked behind, behind the scenes in the story of Naomi and Ruth, God didn't drop any bread from heaven. He could have just answered that situation that they needed right then. He could have given them everything that they needed. And yet, we see it completely unfold in the end. He was always there at work. He knows the path, and He knows the journey, and He knows the destination. For that reason, and many others, we can trust God in life's journey. We can find God's gracious plan in the midst of life's pain. And when we finally walk where God leads... We experience God's favor, God's blessings of peace and joy, strength and endurance, wisdom and protection. And there's no other better place to be than underneath God's wings of refuge. The story unfolds, it comes to a close here by giving this, us this outline about look what God has done. Now, how many could testify here tonight about look what God has done? You're here tonight, right? You're here tonight. Look what God has done. Amen. He's our Savior. He's our strength. He's our song. He's everything that we need here tonight. And we are blessed. Just as we come to a close and we're about to sing a song here together, I'm, I'm going to invite us to come up to the altar and spend a time with the Lord in prayer. But just in doing that, I want us to reflect on the story and see God's redemption plan of what he's outlined for us. It's not by accident. It's not by happenstance that he's done things. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.